Gentlemen, welcome to San Telmo, where we're recording our new podcast from my new flat, which I share with my lady friend. <laughs> By which I mean she's a lady and she's my friend. I'd like to clarify that. It's not really a new <laughs> Katie, would you like to welcome everybody to our flat? This is we're recording. Welcome to Casa Alemania. This is going out to every continent in the world. We've even got listeners in Nigeria. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm here with both of the Dans. Hello. And Seba's not here. He's being represented this week by an ornamental candlestick holder, <laughs> which is sitting just next to the um, just next to the microphone. The lovely ladies who you can hear laughing are our, our studio audience this week. They're my housemate Katie and Jenny, who's Hello. who's our inside contact at Boca Juniors, who we may or may not be using later on in the season. <laughs> No, when you claim that now, but we'll get something out of you, don't worry. This week's podcast is not fueled by Fernet Branca and Coke, but rather by Kilmes, and in my case, a nice glass of red wine. Since we're still banned from talking about the national team, I feel that we should mention, since it's just happened, Lionel Messi's performance against Arsenal in the Champions League. I, I think we can mention it, can't we? Yeah, we can. Be, it, yeah. it was rather good. It, it wasn't, I, I wouldn't say he was the man of the match. No. Um, I was pretty disappointed because, you know, obviously last season he managed to score four against Arsenal. This season he only scored two. One is of which a, was from the penalty one spot, of which so it doesn't really count. Penalty spot, yeah. So, so we'll we could say he's half. probably yeah. 25% as good as last year if we're going to go from a strictly statistical point of view. Exactly. Is Messi on the slide? But wasn't it's the first goal good? The first goal was good, I particularly enjoyed it. Dinking it over the goalkeeper and pulling it into the net. Okay. That's us done for the national team this week. No, but on, on uh, a similarly Barcelona-related point of view, one or two people have mentioned to me the fact that Javier Pastore of Palermo has been linked with Barcelona <coughs> in the transfer news for this coming... I still keep wanting to say summer. I've not yet got, got the hang of the fact that it's... I think winter. I managed to adapt to it quite no. well. All over for Goal, oh, which is obviously yeah. an international website, I've been putting the summer... For all the January news. I've been and very I've good at the writing, yeah. but when I'm talking, I, I always want to say winter and summer when it should be summer and winter. Um, I'm Australian, so I don't have that problem. Of course. Um, we do have a question uh, specifically about this from 11, Tegan 11. Uh, he says, could we discuss the story and his future, and also does he compliment Messi well? And I guess by his future, he's talking about... Uh, he was linked with Manchester United during the week. Yeah. Linked yeah. in inverted commas, because apparently the, the story came from a... Cordoba radio station, and Which it was is picked up from, by yeah. yeah, he's from Cordoba. It was picked up by Sky in in the UK, I guess. I'd, but I'd find him as a Manchester United fan. I, I'm not sure it's it would be a very good transfer for them, and, and I don't think it will happen. I'd, I'm a huge Pastore fan, and obviously, as I said, I'm a Man United supporter. But I can't really see how he'd 
kind of fit into the style that they play. The way that they've played traditionally under uh, under Alex Ferguson, it, it's always been two wide players and and two central midfielders. Or in in, in Europe in recent seasons, you've had Wayne Rooney playing just off Dimitar Berbatov or Javier Hernandez with the two wide players. And you, you've had the kind of the wide players acting as the link the entire time. And if we were to sign Pastore, the only thing that I could think you could do with him would be to put him in in the Rooney position in the kind of middle of that sort of 4-2-3-1 and push Rooney either push Rooney up front or sell Rooney which I don't think the Glazers are going to do for obvious reasons that that have to do with their kind of popularity with the United fan base I couldn't work out how else United would utilise him because yeah and I don't think he is that kind of Rooney player either because he's, no. he's a lot slower and yeah I, I still think he could do a similar job but he'd have to be in that kind of position and I couldn't see Pastore joining United but no it doesn't make sense I mean what we have been asked to comment yeah. on this week is the chances that he might be joining Barcelona. Right. Yeah, this came out in Ole a few days ago. That they, you know, they love to print a few rumours, so it's hard to know how much truth there is. But, mm. I mean, for me, looking at it, I think he'd have a similar problem there to what you've been describing with United, as in you the think? system they play is not really kind of his system. As I see him, he's like more of a... He's not what you call like a stereotypical, you know, traditional Argentine number 10, but he is kind of this um, enganche playmaker kind of figure. In the same kind of way that Raquelna isn't a stereotypical Argentine number 10. I mean, he started out as a number 8. No, completely, um, yeah. Which, for our listeners, is more a kind of... It's like a right-sided... Like a kind of box-to-box. Yeah. Think Cambiasso, but maybe a little more creative. Yeah. Um, how Cambiasso used to be when he was slightly younger and had a bit more energy. And that was what Raquelna was originally. I, I'm not sure, because, I mean, for me, in Barcelona's system, I, I think if they were to bring Pastore in, as I was saying to, to our studio guest, Jenny... <laughs> who's a huge Barcelona fan, earlier. I think Pastore would most likely be brought in to, to be a kind of replacement for Xavi or Iniesta in a couple of years' time. Long term, yeah. Okay. So, so for now, he might be kind of in a similar way to Mascherano at the moment, who's not really playing very much for Barcelona. Used fairly sparingly, brought on as a late substitute appearance or in particularly tight games to try and make that difference. And eventually replacing Xavi when Xavi... Exactly. Yeah. Into the, or or into more, the I, I think he's more of an Iniesta star. He's slightly more mobile than Xavi and, and slightly... Obviously, he's not the yeah, same kind of pace. He's also the kind of guy that can sort of spray passes across the field and yeah. change the, the direction of play and stuff. Mm. Pastore himself said that he said he seems to be fairly level-headed and he's not in a rush to go to any of these big clubs or anything. And he said a couple of months ago that I think that he he's not interested in going to Barcelona or Real Madrid at the moment because he knows he wouldn't be in the first team and yeah. he's interested in kind of being the, the hub of a, a team. So for me, I'd like to see him personally. I think a team like Juventus, bigger um, Italian side, or yeah, like somewhere where he'd still be the 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 star of the team or the, the hub of the team but with a little more quality around him yeah uh, with, with some quality around him but uh, would allow him to also develop as a player or even to stay at uh, Palermo for another another yeah. year so for me that would be the ideal for him stay at Palermo for another year and a half or two years or yeah. someone like Juventus from, from his point of view I'm sure as long as there are enough dark haired beauties around him I'm not speaking <laughs> of the football team but more of the fact that when he first signed for Palermo uh, from Huracan in his press conference, he, he said that he was very excited to be living on Sicily, uh, on the island of Sicily, and, and, that, and that all of the ladies in the local vicinity would also quickly become very excited that he was living there as well. Or something <laughs> I think I saw pictures he's, of his, his Italian girlfriend. Yeah, he's I mean, done, he, he's done well. Not bad looking. He, he does now, of course, have, have a local girlfriend, but um, when he signed there, he was single and he was more than happy enough to let the press know about <laughs> it. In a, in a Nice kind of way. I quite enjoyed reading the interview. Uh, and uh, the other part of the question was whether he combines well with Messi or has the potential to, and I think definitely yes. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you see in a lot of the, the, the 
a lot of the Argentinian press or whatever they, they start referring to him as the, as the socio, as like the partner in reference to Messi because uh, they see him as the as the future the yeah. guy in the in the national team who supplies Messi or offers a, an alternative to Messi to, for some of the creativity. Yeah, which yeah. which I said at the time was one of the few things that I thought Maradona got unequivocally right about the World Cup was that um, when we saw Pastore, although he didn't start, did he start any at all? He might have started the third group okay. game. Possibly the third group game, um, yeah. But although he didn't start the, the majority of Argentina's World Cup games, Mascher, uh, Mascherano, God, I mean Mascherano was a manager already, would be disastrous, wouldn't it? Maradona sent him on fairly late in each game, and when he did, it was really apparent, just from even from watching on television, that Pastore had basically been told, when you get the ball, give it to Messi as often as you can. It was really noticeable for me that those were the occasions when Argentina actually looked most coherent right. in all of their matches was for the kind of last 25 minutes of each game after Pastore had been sent on. So yeah, from, from the point of view of asking whether he can, he can combine well with Messi, I'd say absolutely. Yeah. And, and also bearing in mind that even already this season, he's already looking like a far more complete player than, than he had even then. He's, he's clearly learning from... Yeah, he's still not the, the complete package because you still see him making wrong decisions and stuff, but he, yeah. he is a wonderful player and uh, he gets compared to all sorts of players, but I think at the moment he reminds me more of Zidane than anyone in the way that, yeah, ball control and, and seeing this pass that nobody else sees and very, very interesting player. Yeah, I think the one time we've probably seen uh, Pastore and Messi play pretty much from the start together was in, I don't know if you two remember, like the Brazil-Argentina friendly? Yeah. And that time it was kind of like, this is, for me, Batista's grand plan to combine these two in a team and have them working off each other. Just as, like, maybe it wasn't for Maradona because Pastore was that much younger, but, yeah, I think... Well, and also because Maradona was... Was Maradona, but, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. useless manager. But in this, um, so. in the Brazil game, yeah, he basically set up, say... Pastore was what you'd call kind of the number 10 in Argentina, and Messi was kind of slightly ahead, but, you know, free to, to run the pitch, and it didn't quite come off. Both of the players, you know, are immensely talented, and for the potential of this partnership, it wasn't as good as it could have been, but they had some, like, really nice touches, like, mm. they definitely controlled the middle and did some, like, did some damage at times, and... I think it's just kind of, with any, as with any partnership, it's one that's got to be given games. And, yeah. But I definitely think there's potential for it to be a you know, well-beaten. Absolutely. One yeah. I hope to see in the couple Which, of in a way, is yeah. why it would be ideal if he went to Barcelona. Which we're not talking about. Having done our standard five minutes at the beginning of talking about complete crap that hasn't got anything to do with <laughs> the domestic um, scene. Which games did you catch from the weekend, guys? I, I was moving flat, which is... As the two of you can see, where we're recording the new this episode from, so I didn't get to catch anywhere near as much of the Argentine league action as I would have liked to. English down, I'm assuming you got the Racing game. I did. I managed to um, catch glimpses of it. Glimpses of it, yeah. It was a, a little bit of an unwanted classic, wasn't it? Would you yeah. like to tell us about? I, I, I saw very little of it, but I, I did catch the uh, the scoreline afterwards and was surprised. Let's say. Yeah, surprise doesn't really tell the half of it. We'll start with the first half. The first half is, objectively speaking this time, not as a wrestling fan, it's one of the best halves of football I've seen in the last couple of years in for an Argentine side, because Racing played... When you say that, you mean one of the best performances in one half, rather than one of the most exciting, evenly matched halves. Correct, yes. Yeah. One of the best like team performances, like Racing kind of... They looked good down the wings, they had uh, Taranzo and Jacob in the middle kind of controlling it, Luguercia, who... Uh, Never been a particular fan of he was actually doing well, kind of doing his thing, just running around like a headless chicken, but actually finding people to run around with, which is nice. 
And no, they managed to go 3 0 up in the first half. Like the first two goals weren't classics, but the third was a beauty, a 12 pass move, which in a league where a lot of goals come from set pieces, it's not every day mm. that happens. Yeah. And then, so we were fairly happy in the stands. The, the second half's one minute old. Uh, Jacob plays a beautiful ball into Teo Gutierrez, our new Colombian star, you know, Kienesio. Uh, Teo finishes 4 0. And you've got to think, game over. And I think the Racing players did as well because they just suddenly <laughs> went to sleep and managed to concede three goals in seven minutes, possibly two minutes after the fourth went in. Mm. So pretty much from a complete party atmosphere in the stands with nothing to worry about, just kind of taking it easy. It was just a complete bite in the nails down to the elbows moment. For and 35 minutes. For 35 yeah. minutes, yeah. yeah. And no, luckily after the third went in, there wasn't that much kind of real drama other than what we were inventing in our heads because it's racing and racing have a brilliant way of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Of course. I, I have to admit that... It was um, relief when the final whistle went, um, I assure you. It sounds very unprofessional to me to say this, but I was out late at night celebrating the fact that I was going to be moving into my new flat the following morning. And so when I posted the goal video up on my blog, I didn't actually bother to watch the video. Or if I did, then I can't remember most of it. <laughs> It's one of the two. But how was the uh, Theophilus Gutierrez now has scored? He scored two the previous weekend, and he scored the what shouldn't have done, but what turned out to be the winner this weekend. Uh, mm. How was this finish, and, and how is he looking to you as a player? Because I've had, um, as you know, I've got a couple of good Colombian friends who, who told me that he was the the next big thing in Argentine football, even though he's 27 or 28, and, and that he was going to score plenty of goals. How's he looking to you as a striker? And are you interested to see him when, it, obviously we're still six months away from seeing him with Gio Moreno, but... No, I've been very impressed so far. What you can see from Teo is that he's just a completely natural goal scorer. Hmm. A guy that knows where the net is, and if you give him a, a good chance, more often than not, he's going to he's gonna stick it in. Would you say he'd be a good signing for somebody like Arsenal or Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that. <laughs> I just want to say that I saw the first half as well of that game. and yeah. uh, Back me up, please. Sir. Dan is not exaggerating. Not yeah. It's one of yeah. the best displays I've seen by an Argentine team, and yeah, especially I... coming from Racing, where just the, apart from the, the it was very, it was tiki tiki. In Argentina, we don't have tiki taka, we have tiki tiki. Extremely impressive. The whole midfield just mm. gelled. And, yeah. and not only that, they, once they were three goals up, they had all these very, should I mention Barcelona? Uh, after just watching Wait, them, um, you, you just did. I just did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that they they just sort of strut around and they, they they were trying to walk the ball into the goal and they they, they had about two or three more chances. Yeah, that was a should. really kind of refreshing thing to see from Racing. I mean, this is a club which probably like, for the past three years have been really kind of down and they have a self-esteem problem. And this was and now just to see yeah that swagger and just you know they're coming out and trying to beat teams rather than holding on and trying to nick it by a goal. Like. I think I might have even met up with Sam that night uh, after watching the first half, and I said, "Oh, they were three 0 up, but you know, being rusty, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended three yeah. 2 No, exactly, yeah, because we didn't know the score because <laughs> you'd left at half time, and I remember sending English down a text message to ask what the final yeah. score was, and when I got it back and we saw that it was four three, we both almost <laughs> spat out the drinks that we were drinking at the time, because even by racing standards, we couldn't quite believe it. Um, but the other thing that, that follows on and, and at the same time moves it on to a different club. From what we were just saying about Racing's old attitude is the news that just today Quilmes have confirmed Ricardo Caruso Lombardi as their new manager. Caruso Lombardi as I was going to say long term but not exactly long term, just semi-regular. 
listeners might remember from two weeks ago. It's the manager who was accused and, in fact, as I said two weeks ago, was, in fact, taking payments off players for playing time in, Kiel, in Tigre's first team. Quilmes have today appointed him as their manager. And Caruso Lombardi is, is a manager who he's previously been ratting manager during one of the periods that we were just talking about when, when they were trying to just kind of scrape wins or here and there. Quilmes are the, the 12th club that Caruso Lombardi's taken charge of. And he has a kind of a reputation. He, he's never really fought for promotion or fought for continental qualification or for the title with any of these clubs. He's always been... He's, he's seen as kind of the fireman yeah. of the Argentine league. So if a club is in danger of relegation from the Promedio, they bring Caruso Lombardi in, and traditionally, he's always saved them. Yeah, there's a name for it in Argentina. They've got the, their very own word in Spanish. It's um, sacapuntos. Mm. It basically means takes points off people. Exactly. And it pretty much defines Caruso down to a T. He plays 4-4-2. He's a kind of religious zealot of the 4-4-2. Mm. He gets men behind the ball. He plays counter-attack. You know, it's not particularly attractive football. Like, and he's mad necessarily. as well. yeah. He's as mad as a uh, sack for the badges, yeah. But, but the point is that, um, I mean, even he said yesterday, before taking the job, but when it was strongly rumoured that he'd be confirmed as it, that Kielmes, in at the moment, by far the most difficult mm. club to stay in the top division of all of the clubs that he's taken charge of this is going to be his biggest challenge they've been absolutely terrible this year and and so as I say guys I I didn't really catch any of the games at all this weekend so I can't even remember how Kilmes did in fact I can't they lost 2-1 to Tigre ironically enough Caruso's his old club club, Okay, so how do you see this going because the the way that that, that Kilmes have played so far this season, and also the way they played throughout the Apertura, I can't see them staying. I'm no, regardless I can't see of who's him. managing them. He, I, mean, I don't think he's going to yeah. stay them at all. I mean, I, in fact, you and me, Australian now, went to see Tigre versus Quilmes during the Apertura, the reverse right. fixture of the of, of the the one that's just been played this weekend, and that was when Tigre were not playing well at all. But they were by far the better team, especially mm-hmm. in the second half. I think it was three-one or. Four one maybe they scored a couple of goals in quick succession yeah. and and so I remember thinking at the time because I think before that game Tigre hadn't won a match that year and it just kind of it served to demonstrate just how poor Quilmes were and even though to me they've got San, in Santiago Ramonda they've got he's a good playmaker who I like watching yeah. but they've not really been able to create anything at all through the season they, they have a defence that that's a mess which doesn't help them get you know get off to a good start have they got a hope in hell. Even no. with Caruso Lombardi as no, well. As they'll pick up a few more points. For me, like they'll do better than under Madelon, who seems to be almost a Caruso in uh, reverse. Whatever team he takes on at the bottom of the table just seems to uh, seem lower. <laughs> but, yeah, they'll pick up a few points, but they're a hell of a long way behind. And they've got a long way to go. I can't see them staying up. Although, to be fair, like the way the relegation system's slanted, if they do pick up a few wins, because their wins actually obviously mean more in the average than a team that's been in the league for three years. Yeah, because they do have the opportunity to... Over 23 yeah. games gives them more So, if they can win, say, five games out of eight, they could definitely kind of start looking at it. It's a big... big so, yeah. of interest, yeah. Dan, how do you think they've got a chance in hell of winning five games <laughs> out of eight? <laughs> yes, and then the flying pigs will start going over the uh, Kilmer Stadium. Yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad we've got that sort of <laughs> But it's um, a myth, you know. I like to think on a higher plane sometimes. Indeed. <laughs> The really big um, talking of stadiums, which we were, because English Dan just mentioned in passing the Kilmer Stadium. <laughs> nice, nice. You can segue. see we've really worked on our links through this week. Definitely. This weekend saw the first Clásico Platense in the Estadio Único de la Plata, which, for those of you who only speak English, means the unique stadium 
in the, the only, Plata. The only stadium in La Plata, which or is a lie. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> the only stadium in La Plata, which or is the only stadium of the, the plate. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to go all the way and even translate the city name. Yeah, um, what it saw was Gimnasia versus Estudiantes with no visiting fans allowed in at all. And by visiting, we're putting inverted commas on that because it's actually going to be used as Estudiantes home stadium from now on. Plus, I think Dan did see one visiting fan in there. I did, yes. Right? Exactly, yeah. And, and as, as we were going to say, Australian Dan was actually attending this match. Dan, how did it... Well, it's right. How's the stadium? The stadium is very, very nice. It's very different feel to most Argentinian stadiums, where you, most of them are quite run down. And yeah, I've, and I've heard a few people saying that it's it's the most European stadium yeah, in that's South the America. Thing that everyone which, from, the, from the tone of their voice when they're saying it, they mean it's the best quality or yeah, whatever. You get two sides where, where people saying it's, it's very European and, and high tech and everything, and I guess a lot of the Gimnasia fans, especially, are calling it quite soulless and. <laughs> But for me, facilities and everything are very nice. It's it's got it's got a, a roof covering all the all the seats, and it's got a, a massive screen, four sided screen, which yeah, for for an Argentinian stadium, it just yeah. seems completely out of place. Uh, but no, it's a very very attractive stadium. It's weird because it was especially weird in this game because you had all home fans, uh, all Gimnasia fans, and it's all seated. So uh, watching a game in Argentina, you have this sort of um, ebb and flow of. of the fans in the in the popular section, you know, they're all over the shop. Whereas in this stadium, they're all kind of seated. They were they were still still being uh, very noisy, which is one point about it. Because of the roof, it's extremely loud. So when they started whistling, for example, when the Estudiantes goalkeepers came out to practice, it was just piercing. So there's no real popular then. There is there's a the section of the popular, but it's not it's all seated, so it's a different kind of feel to, to most stadiums. We'll see um, how long that lasts. And of course, yeah, this, in this sure game, there was there was uh, both ends were, were filled with. I think one end was the bara, and the other mm-hmm. end were or other baras or something. But both ends, you, you had the. Uh, I was a bit worried about my tickets because they they came. They were quite cheap tickets, and it, I was in Pasillo Cinco, which is like aisle five, and I thought I was going to be you know behind some post or something. But in the end, it was an excellent seat. It was right beside the sort of. Oh, so they give you the allocated seats as well. In in my section, it wasn't allocated seats, but yeah. everyone had a seat kind of thing. So okay. we arrived quite early, and, and we got a fantastic seat. Yeah. Um, you can hear the excitement in English Dan's voice, and it stems <laughs> from the fact that um, in Racing Stadium, such things as allocated seats don't exist. Well, in the, in the I pla- stand on the concrete step for three hours, <laughs> yeah, and I'm happy as Larry. I, I have to admit, if you buy a, a platea, the seat on the side of, mm. of the pitch for River Plate, you normally get a seat number on the ticket, but no one actually pays much attention yeah. to them. Um, uh, I think in this case, the one uh, time I did was when we went to Argentina versus Spain. Yeah, in the national team, and game suddenly team. everybody started telling me off for sitting in the wrong seat, and I thought nobody gave a toss every every other time I've been to this stadium. Yeah, they do very... pay attention in the national yeah. games. No, but the platea here does have uh, numbered seating, and you're supposed to sit in your seat. As I said, really loud, really good atmosphere. The game itself, well, the Estudiantes were just a little bit better, I don't know, mm. a fair bit better individually. And it's it's the one match actually that I caught all of this weekend, and I have to say that. Gimnasia during the first half I thought were the better side um, they, I, I didn't think either side during the first half were particularly good but Gimnasia created a bit more and then they had the more possession and stuff but yeah. I mean. and, and obviously watching it as um, someone who follows the Argentine League regularly I, I was aware that Estudiantes were individually and, and in terms of 
what they've done over the last few years in terms of the consistency. They were the better team. I was I was aware that they were the better side. In the second half, that's really what told. And I think you actually said when we met up that evening, Dan, you took a couple of friends along, then you, your sister and took my sister boyfriend, and boyfriend, who didn't really know anything at all about football. But but he had said as well that even he could appreciate the fact that the Estudiantes players, even though they weren't right. playing especially well, were the better footballers. Yeah, he he. He was uh, quite uh, made some quite intelligent comments at halftime from uh, someone who's not a football supporter yeah, at all. Right? Someone who called him the red guys and the blue guys. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but yeah, it was like I mean, Gimnasia uh, uh, has a, a number nine that I quite like, a young guy, uh, Cordova. But he's kind of one of those frustrating number nines as well, where he's, he's good at holding the ball up and he's a good target man, but he doesn't seem to score very much. Mm. Uh, and what about um, Shilata did absolutely nothing absolutely in the whole. Nothing. No, no, he was terrible. Perhaps if they'd taken him off earlier, they would have done a bit better creatively. But yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the number 10 as well. I mean, the, the, the guys who were supposed to create for Gimnasia were just not doing it. And yeah, Studiant is just a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and much as we say as well that Shilato didn't really do anything, you have, it's also worth bearing in mind that Juan Sebastián Merón wasn't playing for Estudiantes. He was. It, it, it's not like like Estudiantes had had their full strength. No, uh, but as, as always happens with Estudiantes, with the depth that they had, um, guys like uh, Nagata Fernández mm. always mm. seems to play really, really well when when Merón yeah. is not playing. He sort of drops back. Yeah, and I think I said to you as well that when Fernández scored on the television, the the commentators and the broadcasters put put up a statistic saying that he'd scored something like fourteen goals in eighty seven yeah. games mm. for them. And I was astonished by how low it was, because for a forward, and for somebody who is for them such an important player, he didn't strike me as having scored so few goals. Well, I think uh, I saw a feature on him uh, on the TV the other day where he's he scored really important goals. Uh, yeah, they, exactly. Showing he all, always, the, all that he scored, yeah. scored against Real And even when he's not back. scoring, he always plays well. Yeah. Um, he, he's very good at kind of dropping off, and, and I've always <coughs> said actually since River Plate let him go, I think he went to San Lorenzo at first, or if I'm not... If I'm remembering correctly, um, Mexico, yeah, yeah, maybe Mexico and then to San Lorenzo and then from there to Estudiantes. And I never understood why River had let him go because he's a superb player, especially in the big games, and he can do far more than just score goals as well. Um, yeah, he gives a lot of yeah, lot of it, things to a team. It, it, deep, it's deep. a shame in a lot of ways that he didn't get the chance to, well, in in Europe and, and to play to a wider audience. And everything. Yeah, he sort of. Perhaps instead of going to Mexico, he could have gone to Europe, and I think he, mm. he probably he could have done quite well. But he, he took Estudiantes open it really well as well, which was he, yeah, big thing. Uh, and an important point in the in the press afterwards is Chilotto called it a pelotazo, which translates as kind of like a, a hoof. Mm. And all the Estudiantes players insisted it wasn't a hoof; it was a pass because it was it was a from De Salvador, the the centre back. Yeah, and it was a, a very accurate pass up to. Uh, Fernandez and he finished very nicely. As you were saying before, there was supposedly no uh, Estudiantes fans in the in the stadium. But I remember reading in the press beforehand that a bunch of guys were saying, "Oh, we're we're going to sneak in anyway, or we're going to go in uh, clandestinely as uh, uh, kind of watch the game anyway." And there was actually one of these guys down in front of me because uh, when Estudiantes won the penalty, I don't know if we've mentioned, but they won the game two 0 in the end. Um, a terrible penalty. Like I don't know what the Canessia guy was doing. I don't know if I saw it on on the TV, but uh, if you see it again, basically, um, there was no no real uh, threat. It was just a uh, hoof down the pitch. You know, apologies to Estudiantes again. <laughs> it was, uh, it was and I think it was uh, Masueda, and he kind of just got himself completely in a muddle and 
kind of just batted the ball with his hand, like uh, completely yeah, yeah. involuntary action. It yeah, I remember. It was a clear penalty. Yeah, it was a clear penalty. But it's so when this happened, um, the stadium went silent, of course, because it's all Hinazia fans. And then you, uh, you hear this bit of a ruckus down below. So what must have happened was, was one of these secret Estudiantes fans must have yet out, let out a, a yell or something because suddenly this call went up there. There's like there's a pincher, there's a pincher in the in the crowd. Everyone just starts beating the crap out of this guy. It's a big guy, um, and he was sitting right at the front, which is doubly stupid. And the whole sort of ripple through the crowd that uh, there was a pincher among them, and they all just started beating the crap out of this guy. And he slowly had to make his way to the back of the stand. I've got an image whilst you're saying this, Dan, of, of some enormous man kind of just walking. Calmly on, whilst everybody's jumping on. Well, it was sort of like it was Punching sort of like kind of wading through quicksand kind of thing. Like he's pushing it because it was the, there's all these people in, in the stand as well that weren't supposed to be there. I think this this whole stand beside me was originally closed off with uh, security tape that was saying "dangerous, do not enter." There was one steward at the. This guy was. Well, yeah. In the end, it wasn't. There was one steward at the at that entrance, and people just kept sort of piling through and eventually the whole thing, the whole stand just filled up. Anyway, he was at the front of the stand and basically slowly made his way up as people were beating on him. People from the, the, the neighbouring stands all rushed up the back to, to also beat the crap out of him. My, uh, my sister's boyfriend went out the back to watch, watch the violence because he wasn't, <laughs> to beat the crap out of wasn't, wasn't that interested in the football but um, he, he said there was about 50 guys sort of around this guy and eventually the police just sort of dragged him away and somebody threw a, like a cement pot plant from the, one of the top <laughs> tiers and just missed his head. So, Which makes me wonder what those things are doing in the stadium. Well, yeah. It probably place. looked nice before it was thrown at a pinch of sand. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Well, it was from one of the, the higher, I guess, the more expensive stands where you wouldn't where, expect... Where nobody yeah, no one, one, yeah. at all. Um, so doesn't matter. the guy was either very, very stupid or... Well, yeah, he was just very racist. Just very racist. Yeah, there's yeah. no two ways to doing that. Um, there, there's an old quote from a Western film or something which says, you've got to be mighty brave or mighty stupid. Um, so, yeah, the stadium was very nice and I'm looking forward to hopefully going to some Copa America games there. Because so I guess um, the result out of them two games, like what we've mentioned, Racing and Estudiantes, is that them two are basically occupying the top spots now. And then just behind course, them, yeah, you've that's, got that's River in. Sure like to remind us, don't yeah. oh, you? Know, I'd just like to, to <laughs> let our listeners know what the situation in the table is. Mm. And then just behind them, River, who, who dropped, well, I guess you can say dropped two points. I would say dropped two game. points. The yeah. way they played, I, I didn't see an all, all of the game by any yeah. means, but yeah, from what I did see, they, they seem to be on top of Arsenal. And as I said a few weeks ago, River's problem for the last four or five years has been dominating matches and not being able to put the thing in the net. <laughs> and, and that's basically what they did again this weekend, from what who, I saw. Who were they playing? Uh, they were playing Argentinos. Yeah, you said last time. Yeah. The draw specialists. Sorry. Argentinos, of course, yeah, who now have four draws out of four. And uh, River, River, I think, have not conceded a goal yet. No, no. they're still phenomenally. Uh, what, what, and, and also, I've just, um, whilst whilst Australian Dan was wittering on about the La Plata Classic, <laughs> um, I, I popped through and, and just checked the headlines. Um, actually, I was checking as much as anything to remind myself of, of the upcoming fixtures this weekend. And Juan Pablo Carrizo, the River Plate's goalkeeper, is um, he, he got injured during the summer tournament, the summer pre-season friendlies, and was replaced by uh, a youngster called uh, uh, Leandro Chichisola, who's about 21 or 22 years old. Um, young for a keeper. Very yeah. fun name to say as well. Young for a keeper, even, even by the standards of Argentine first division football. And, and yet, in spite of the fact that this guy's been, been playing instead of either Carrizo or previously the Argentine person considered Daniel Vega to be the second choice. And yet, in spite of all of this... Um, Chichi Sola and his 
River defensive colleagues had not conceded, haven't, in fact I said had not, have, have still not conceded a goal up to this point. So from that point of view it's impressive. I, I can't really say very much more about River's performance this week because as I said I was moving house on Sunday and I didn't catch any of the match at all. Mm. But it's nice to know at least that especially when we've got strikers such as Mariano Pavone who I rate as a player but who isn't at the moment scoring as much as he'd like to even by his own ambition. It's nice to know that at least we have a defence that, that give us the chance to know that we've got a good chance of winning the game as long as we don't concede. But the other game that I wanted to to talk about this week, or at least to ask you two whether you caught any of, <laughs> was the other classic off from the weekend, was Banfield against Lanús. I saw um, quite a lot this game actually, yeah. Thank God for that. English down. would you like to tell us about Banfield against Lanús? It's, it's the classic of del, del Sur. These are two, two teams who I think even by their own admission would call themselves small clubs. At least in the Argentine parlance, that sounds much less pejorative in Argentina yeah. than it than it would do to an English listener. Yeah, it's what you kind of call and like one. Um, yeah, you call it here like a club del barrio. Yeah, it's like a club where they have a good a good support in their own in their yeah, own right. area, but exactly, it doesn't yeah. really transmit to other places in the city but so it, much. It's become a particularly interesting classico in the last sort of three years or so because it was. Lanús won, won the championship first of all. Um, this is where we go back into a bit of history, in fact, for our listeners, because Banfield are the only club in Argentina who, who still exist as a football club, but who won a title in the 19th century. They, they won the 1899 Second Division Championship. And uh, that, that's English Dan's expression oh, of impressiveness. Impressive. That I actually know this off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And Lanús had never won a championship, and and about and this is where everything gets slightly less impressive because I can't remember exactly what year it all happened. But Banfield, I think, just beat Lanús to the championship, didn't they? Just recently, in the last kind of three or four years, they both won the first division championship once, and I think Banfield won it one year no, exactly it was before Lanús. The other way around. Lanús okay. won it in 2007, and then in 2009, Banfield. Right, and so it's 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 never exactly. You wouldn't say it was a big Clásico, but with them both being in the Premier Division, the First Division, the last a good few years now, and, and both of them obviously now being there or thereabouts with the Championship challenges, yeah. it's been a good one. And so what did you make of the match, Dan? You're the only one of us who saw it. I it think. was but quite an interesting match. I mean, just to go back very quickly to what you're saying about the small club, there's a column in Olay that comes out every Monday which is called um, Encontra mm. and I think we've probably mentioned it which before, we have mentioned on, uh, before yeah. on the podcast this guy who basically is paid to just absolutely slate everything about Argentine football <laughs> and he was pretty obviously pretty scathing about it saying it's you know not a real it's not a real classico because they're not real teams and <laughs> their, rip, their true places would be in uh, Nacional B mm. where they take their place behind uh, Chacarita Nueva Chicago <laughs> and uh Kilmers, I think, because Kilmers are in clubs. These would all be considered big second division clubs, but yeah. none of them would exactly be but, thought of as yeah. permanent. According to this guy, Lanús and Manfield would come just underneath them. And, but, no, but apart from that, the game, the game was interesting. It was very much a typical derby. Like Both teams really wanted to win it, but more than anything, didn't want to lose, so there was a lot of tough tackling. And I think the biggest talking point that came out, which led to a wonderful, wonderful kind of rant from the Lanús keeper happened in the first half uh, the the keeper for Lanús uh, Mauricio Caranta he's called former Boca Juniors former Boca Juniors keeper yeah he came out and completely poleaxed uh, Carrusca the Banfield forward completely it was a penalty absolutely certain no problem and up steps uh, Enrique Bologna who's the Banfield keeper you know we all love uh, South American goal scoring keepers so <laughs> yeah. so Bologna comes up to take the penalty 
and it's an awful, awful kick. Caranta knocks it away from the referee. Noticed that I think Caranta stepped kind of one pace off his line and made him take it again. Bologna I think it was takes. actually um, infringement by the, the players coming into the box. I think it was Caranta. Oh, was it? Yeah. Either both. Yeah. Like millimeters in it. Like it's yeah, it was. It was very marginal. Yeah. They never called yeah. back, but. No, so basically, yeah, the kick was replayed and Bologna absolutely smashed, you know, he wasn't making any mistake again, smashed it home. And so that was Bamford in the lead, then they took, they got the second with about a couple of minutes left, a really good, really good counter-attack, you know, with Lanus all up the pitch and the Uruguayan Achucarro got it, and then Lanus got it back to 2-1 with a beautiful free kick from uh, Riguero. But then... Well, it was too late already. It was too late, yeah, this was in about the sixth minute of injury time. Because I think they had to stop it about three times because Banfield fans and the Popular just managed to engulf the penalty area with green smoke. But it was their own penalty area. Like, imagine Manusa coming down the right and then throwing an attack. And suddenly Bologna just gets like absolutely covered by this green smoke. And did you see earlier in the game as well they were throwing um, inflatable, inflatable penguins oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with lanterns written on yeah. them? I think I saw you tweeting about that actually, yeah. Dan. You were saying that there, there was not going to be any risk of the commentators explaining that particular joke. Let's explain it in case any, any of the listeners yeah. were watching on Instagram. I think it was actually um, uh, Danny Fitzgerald that made that point. That, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. Uh, Danny Fitzgerald. I still wasn't entirely sure why. Yeah. Well, I had a couple of ideas why they threw penguins. But it's um, yeah. no. it's all to do with this kind of thing of uh, pecho frío. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And the uh, step above that is uh, pecho congelado, which basically means uh, frozen chest. It means you're pe- kind pe- of... Uh, pecho frío, which means cold chest, is basically when you're a big game bottler. Uh, a, a lot of Argentine fans who aren't Boca fans, for instance, say about Riquelme. Yeah. And, and use it as an excuse for Riquelme... Um, for saying that, we, that the national side have always relied too much on Riquelme when he played for them. And yeah, so this was a, a reference to the same kind of phrase, obviously nothing to do with and Riquelme the, in this case. Some people were speculating whether it was something to do with the, some links to the between the club and, and the government as well, because that's the symbol of the government is, is yeah. also yeah. a yeah. Wait, um, Nestor Kirchner, who, who is the <laughs> former president of Argentina, who died last stop. October or November. He's, he's from the south of Argentina, a province called Santa Cruz. He was. And the he was. Sorry, Dan, you're very right. And the the symbol of this province is the penguin because the the far south of Argentina obviously is is pretty much as close as you can get in the world to Antarctica. And say that again, Jenny, hot love. He looks a little bit like a penguin. He looked. He looked. <laughs> Jenny felt that when Nestor Kitchener was alive, he looked a little bit like a penguin. As Hand of Pod's legal representative and producer, <laughs> I would like to state that, that, that the Hand of Pod team have absolutely no say whatsoever in what Jenny Teasdale has just said. She does work for Boca Juniors, but <laughs> I can't stress that enough. She's a Boca Juniors employer, not a Hand of Pod employer. Should we use that as a really seamless segue to talk about Boca? Let, let's do that in a second, yes, okay. after I've explained the whole penguin. And oh, okay. okay. And, um, yeah, so essentially, <laughs> the, the, so the penguin has always been a symbol of the Kirchner government, and so when Lanus Banfield fans sorry, started throwing plastic penguins onto the pitch, that's a very nice alliteration, isn't it? It, it was seen as a kind of, you know, has this got anything to do with the government or anything to do with the, obviously the broadcasters as well have a lot tied in with the government because the current government... Are paying their wages. Let, let's say... I don't want to use the word stole, appropriated the rights from Teisei Sports, who had the previous rights. Um, and funnily enough, the local commentators 
as I said, I didn't see the game myself, but this was the the impression that I gathered. The local commentators didn't seem to fully understand or or to really want to explain what these penguins were about. Well, that's always happens with these things. Though. I think a little bit. It, like, it was almost as if it wasn't yeah. really happening. It was like and the funny part was that they they were on the pitch for about five yeah. five or ten minutes. I know. If I can throw my two pennies on this, because I think I have a little bit of an idea. I think a lot of it goes back to, if you remember in the World Cup, um, in Chadas Unidas, Argentina. Uh, Possibly the most selfish, kind of unjustified NGO in the history of the world, which basically was formed so Bada could travel to the World Cup for free. And their symbol was a penguin. So I think it's got a lot to do with that. I believe either Lanus or Banfield were, were connected to that. I just remember singing in the Banfield Stadium. Banfield it was, yeah. Would you like to translate that chant for our, our listeners who don't speak Spanish? No? It basically means, yeah, there they are, there they are, all of those quiz who went together to the World Cup. A lovely one. Thank you for translating it in a suitably on PC manner. I try. Um, I don't condone these views. No. <laughs> After discussing the two Clásicos and you know, one or two of the other pressing issues of the round just gone of the Torneo Clásicos, uh, yeah, sorry, of the Torneo Clásicos, I was getting confused then, I've had far too much wine inside them. Um, <laughs> we'll take a short break now and we'll come back for Mystic Dan and his predictions for the weekend to come. How did you do last week? Let's have a bit of a break. Oh yeah, I, I didn't pay any attention to uh, I think last I week. got four in the end, which is... So once again, four out of ten, that's the third week in a row that... No, I think I, I got four, four, three, four. Right. Is Mystic Dan really that Mystic? Yeah, he, yes. he writes horror Johnny, if you're not... Heard. Listen to the no, no. <laughs> so uh, our listeners will be best advised not to bet on any of these results. <laughs> bet on four, but we don't know which yeah. one. This, this is what Australian Dan is predicting all the same. Take it away. Alright, so um, Olimpo, All Boys, I've gone for a draw. Then Tigre, Banfield, I've gone for Banfield. Uh, La Luz, Gimnasia, I've gone for a draw. I've gone for San Lorenzo to beat Boca. Um, Arsenal to win away to Argentinos. Estudiantes to be good like Cruz. And Colón and Racing, I've actually gone for a draw. River Vélez, a draw. Yeah. Huracán, Quilmes, a draw. And Independiente, Newells, a draw. Sorry, Dan, just remind us what the... Was it the Argentinos you predicted? Uh, uh, no, wait, wait, I'm on a third <coughs> game. Arsenal away to Argentinos. Yeah, that's, that's the only one that I possibly dispute of those. I, I thought the... Apart from that... I haven't got very much to say. Um, I'd agree with all of the predictions. I, I actually, actually I, I had a, a fair few doubts about these. For example, um, I've mainly gone for Racing not winning because I've picked, I think I've picked them every week. Uh, and Colón mm. at home, maybe. But I wouldn't be surprised if Racing won that game. River Vélez is quite tough to pick. River Vélez is going to be leaning towards a Vélez win there. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at that game. Yeah. And, um, it's going to be um, it's going to be the first River game I've attended this year. But yeah, I'd be I think against Vélez... At the start of the season, I would say I'd have been happy enough to get a draw against them, but the way they've played in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting. I think on the form they're on at the moment, I think we should be trying to look for a, a win in, in that one. Really? Uh, yeah. Why not? It's not that they've been playing especially well. It's got three goals all year. Yeah. Oh, we have, yeah. but we haven't conceded any either. And Venice haven't been world-beating. They lost to all boys, and they beat Boca. 
<laughs> by one guy to nil. From the contempt in the voice. Jenny is making... Jenny, who, who works at Boca, by the way, um, is making hand gestures at me. And she's Same a very, very rude studio guest that we've got. Yeah. They beat Boca by one goal to nil from, from a header from a corner. I, I, it's all coming back to me now. Um, Santiago Silva is back. Yeah, but, but I can't... Honestly, if, if Chichi Sola remains as confident as he is and as communicative with his centre-backs as he is. I, I can see Lancini and, um, and and the other kid whose name it doesn't Not really either. matter. That's the one. Yeah. Apparently he's been linked with one or two big clubs. Mm. No, Lancini's the guy, everybody. If you're listening from Europe and your club gets linked with Manuel Lancini, get far more excited than that about Eric Lamena. Lookandgold.com today because I recently put up a little profile in there. There you go, that's a Hand of Pod exclusive, everybody. Um, and Dan, if your article doesn't include a link back to Hand of Pod, we're suing you for it. And, it um, <laughs> no, but I'd, honestly, I'd, I think River, uh, and normally, regardless of which club I'm talking about, whether it's Manchester United or my, my English club, or whoever, I don't normally like to make big, confident predictions, but I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that I think River will get at least a draw with Bellas. And of course, what this means is that we'll get beaten 5 0 by them. Mm-hmm. Um, Santiago Silva will score a hat trick. Juanma Martinez will probably get the other two. And I'll come back next week humiliated with my tail between my legs. Here's mm-hmm. hoping. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the producer of this podcast, so if I prove to be wrong, I'll just retrospectively edit it so that <laughs> all of you get a different version of yeah, this. I think you do a lot, Sam. Yeah, yeah of you course. Cut out a lot of your humiliating moments. Oh, I do. Absolutely. I regularly predict things that are absolutely ridiculous and then think whilst listening, what the hell was I saying? That was that was stupid. For those of you who are wondering, by the way, Sebastian Garcia actually is present in the room with us tonight. and just he, 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 He's been possibly the most talkative member, but none of you will hear him because I'm going to block him all out. Uh, other games, uh, yeah, I went for San Lorenzo over, over Boca. And I think that's a fair bet. Yeah. I don't think that's good promotion at all. When the no, Boca no, Plunging Boca into a huge crisis. Yeah, um, and that's away, right? Boca that's, away. A, that's in yeah. Southern London. Yeah. yeah. I can't see Boca. They might they might grab a point, but I can't see them winning that game. I would agree, because San Lorenzo beat all boys very convincingly at the weekend. <laughs> that's what I just went through to my bedroom to check. Um, I, I think that's a fair. But Boca don't have anything to. With, with apologies to Jenny. They're not doing anything at the moment. And uh, as we said last week, with Martin Palermo up front, there's no pace up front at all. <laughs> For those wondering why the laughter is happening, it's because what I've just edited out is me saying a couple of words that don't exist to try and get that in the previous two takes. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't think that, that San Lorenzo beating Bock is at all a controversial decision. In fact, I remember last week, Dan, you, did you predict all boys San Lorenzo was a draw last week? And I said I thought that the way that they were both playing, considering that San Lorenzo are traditionally a big club, all boys are not, but all boys are in far better form, yeah. that it wasn't that difficult to call, and I thought that was about right if I remember rightly. I might even have said that all boys might have beaten San Lorenzo. Um, and we agreed that San Lorenzo were playing terribly because we were talking about which, which car they would be. I don't, I don't agree that San Lorenzo were playing badly. I think they played very badly against Racing where they didn't show anything. But that may be an indication of how good Racing are. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, they've, uh, I wasn't expecting them to yeah. beat all boys last week. And well, anyway, I, I don't think that San Lorenzo beating Bock is it's no, no. controversial. <laughs> if you have a chance, check out uh, Dan, English Dan, or as he's known on the internet Dan Edwards uh, <laughs> just on the internet though Dan Edwards of goal.com my um, real name is Abu Shui article article on, on Palermo uh, kind of holding back uh, or 
basically you're saying you think it's time for him to be dropped. Right? I think it's time for him to, uh, to kind of step aside, yeah. And I think it's time for Boca to actually wake up to this reality that he's 37. He wasn't quick when he was 20. He wasn't quick when he was 27. <laughs> 25 he's, um, either. 25. 26 he was. But, um, <laughs> but he was in yeah, Spain. A couple of months, yeah. yeah. So he, he broke wasn't. his leg. And then now at 37, he's just... No, I was watching the Villas game last weekend with Australian Dan. And I don't know how you felt, Dan, but it just hurt me kind of just to see this guy, Palermo, what, you know, stumbling across the pitch. It's like, oh, really? Not kind of, just kind of like, what the hell is he doing on this field? It's absolutely okay, phenomenal how slow Palermo is. There's just, well, there's no getting over it. He's amazingly. We were talking about the other night, uh, Dan and I, uh, he's always, yeah, as you said, he's always been slow, but I, I think there's a difference between this Clausura yeah. and mm. even the Apertura last year because you... Yeah, because now... Uh, he's just not even getting in the position. It's like, he was so far behind. Well, was, was sort of getting into a position and, and yeah. looking to cut the ball back and Palermo was still 30 metres yeah. behind the play. He was nowhere yeah. near it. But then and the even when we went to see... picks up the picks up the blame for it. You're right. like, oh, he, he didn't mm. pass to anyone. And, and, and when, we, when we went to see Racing and we were in the, the platea, well, the, I'll, I'll say the press section down, but essentially it was a, a free ticket <laughs> to, to the good seats. Two weeks ago, was it? Or, or two and a half weeks ago, in, in the second round. We both commented on how slow Palermo was, and, and, and I said at the time that Palermo is the kind of player that, from the Boca manager's point of view, I don't necessarily mean from Julio Cesar Falcioni's point of view, but from the, the point of view of whoever happens to be the Boca manager at the time, you can't really take Palermo off, because there's always that risk, and he's, he's demonstrated it throughout his career, and it's why he's done so well, that he will pop up and score the winning goal. But this season, he, he shows absolutely no sign of it whatsoever. No. Constantly, throughout his career, he's had games where he's been anonymous, and then has put his head in where other players would fear to put their feet and has ended up scoring a goal or two to win the game. And this year, he's, he's done absolutely nothing. He's gone six games without scoring now. Yeah. Well, the longest he's ever been, I think, is eight games yeah. without scoring. So it's just... Uh, and, and apart from Dan's groundbreaking article on, on goal.com, there, there's even articles now appearing in the Argent, Argentine press. Yeah. Copy by LA the, the yeah, same theme um, a little bit afterwards, yeah. Which shows just how much, you know, calling into question whether he still deserves to be starting for the team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously the problem for them now is that they can't buy anyone until until June, so they're kind of, you know, they have to Right, and I think, as well uh, as they for can. example, Viatti is, is injured. I just had one more question here from um, Ben Shave, and I think we've kind of answered most of these. Uh, he, he asked, um, what in God's name happened to Racing? And are Independiente going down? And has there been any more chat about Aymar and River? We've talked about Racing. Talk, yeah. Independent. But to summarise, we don't know what the hell's going on, but <laughs> yeah. we're not upset about it. But uh, in terms of why they're playing so well at the moment, which they are, uh, I think it's, it's just a combination of having players so many good system, players. Yeah. They've got a, a great academy, and at the moment, all the players are coming through. They've managed to hang on to a few of them. They've got a few guys yeah. like Gutierrez. And yeah. yeah. I looked at this the other day, actually, just looking through the squads, like the features, as they're called here. And I think out of the, how many would it be, 18 players that make up the, the starting 11 and then the substitutes, Nine of the racing players were formed in the club, kind of, mm-hmm. they come through the youth ranks, including Zuccolini who left and came back, but yeah, yeah. I mean, half is not a bad, not a bad number at all. No, I don't know if we have a lot of time to talk about but are Independiente going down? Um, yes. Well, I think the short answer is probably no. <laughs> the sh- yeah. They they're won't in, go down, but they'll... They're, they're, quite they're a lot certainly of trouble. in trouble. I, I, I don't think they'll end up getting relegated, yeah. but 
I do think they very badly, if they're going to justify that the prediction I've just made, then they definitely need to actually start taking it seriously. Well, and, as, and as Dan pointed out... And start concentrating on Yeah, belief. as Dan pointed out a couple of weeks ago, I think that the, the, they have a terrible record yeah. in terms of wins in the last... They haven't won for 13 games. 13 yeah. games. But, but as, as Seba pointed out also two weeks ago, if they survive this season which they probably will, then the the promedio, the, the points average table, is going to take... A bad you know, season away. Bad season yeah, away. I mean, it's going to take a very bad season away from their two comparatively good... Well, actually, their one comparatively good season last year, and, and they're, therefore they're going to be in the, the top half of the table for next year. So it's not going to be a prolonged relegation battle right. from their point of view. And the other question, any more talk about Aymar and Nuri? I did hear more talk about it. Um, yeah, there was some during the week. There was yeah. some, I think the thing Aymar with... has apparently told his representative, which uh, in... in Argentina normally means the agent that once his Benfica contract is up which I believe is this European summer he wants to come back to Argentina and obviously it kind of it almost goes without saying that if he comes back to Argentina he'll probably be coming back to River assuming yeah, that is it's a move that I don't think will be happening for a while if it does happen you don't um, think even though he wants to come back uh, home or? at least in a, I mean mm. as you said uh, the end of the European season mm. but uh, as in I think for me it probably depends on what River decide to do with their two really kind of like midfield prodigies, which would be, as we've mentioned a few times, uh, Lancini and Eric Lamela. Yeah. If one of them goes for, say, 15 million, 20 million euros, as could happen, you know, with how River inflate the prices of their youngsters. Well, you know, not without, not without reason, obviously, because they're two very talented players. If one of them would leave, I could see... I might have come in, coming well, I, in as a... I, I don't think it's even so much to do with Lancini and Lamela. I think if they manage to sell Funes Mori for the price they're asking, Benfica might well be happy to let Imar go for a price that, from River's point of view, is, relatively speaking, fairly low. They always seem to be wanting to bring back these ex-River players, or whatever, but I've always felt that Almeida actually said during the week, he said something like, if he said in, in a year and a half, River are going to be some kind of a South American Barcelona. Yeah, which, which is... With the young players they've got coming through, you can. I'm not going to say that what he said was justified, but you can no, see it's, why. It's an exaggeration, but yeah. I mean, imagine if they held on to all these players that they have, all these six guys that went to the South American under 20s, and yes. plus the three that didn't go, mm. uh, or more that could have gone but didn't go. If they actually held on to these guys for two or three years, they'd have an excellent yeah. team. Yeah. But uh, one one, one thing I will say as well, with 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 Imar coming is you have to remember that uh, Diego Buenanote is already going to Malaga. Yeah, and obviously, JJ Lopez is not tending to use him in the starting eleven. You almost kind of wonder whether that's because he's already thinking about the starting eleven he's going to have for the year to come, and therefore he's trying to prepare players to to come in. But yeah, no, I think Imar could come back if he's serious about wanting to come back to Argentina. I think he'll he'll probably come back to River. Whereas if he's only saying it so that he can get some good press in his home country, then, then who knows what will happen. It could be another six months to another 12 months before he comes back. Yeah, I, think, I think a player of his experience would, would be valuable for River, but I, I think they Definitely don't need not. to be... And especially considering that Matias Almeida is talking about retiring at the end of the club Sora, so River are going to be looking for another 30-something-year-old to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to feel catch the side. <laughs> One question that I've had on Twitter, which I've just got to collect on my laptop whilst recording to, to get... Is from Nicolas Rossano. He, he's actually got two questions. The first, I, I hope severely, is a joke. <laughs> was to say whether there, any of us know the velocity of Esteban Fuertes' goal against Godoy Cruz. 87.4 kilometers per hour. There we go. That's the very short answer, Nicolas. It was a, it was a blind day. It was an absolute thunderbolt. Yeah, I think it was faster than a llama. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. He, he hit it very hard indeed. Um, 
the second was as far as centralization is concerned um, it's kind of word that probably refers more to Latin American leagues and their history than to European leagues but traditionally leagues in certain South American countries Peru, Argentina, Uruguay and so on have been centred around the capital <coughs> cities of their countries and what he said is that there are 14 teams in Greater Buenos Aires in the first division but only 5 in the second division and therefore is Argentine football becoming more decentralised or has the second division normally been occupied by teams from outside Greater Buenos Aires, i.e. from the, the provinces. Do either of you have an answer to that? I, I don't have any particular statistics regarding yeah. teams from the provinces being from particularly strong in the second division. Well, I couldn't quite particular statistics, but if you look from, from last year, there's always been kind of like a higher a high concentration of teams from outside, mm. outside Buenos Aires than this season, I think. Before you had uh, Rosario Central and Tucumán, there was one of the Tucumán teams that were up, and if you yeah. are Tacheres has usually been a Cordoba team. All these teams are missing this year, so maybe for this season there's kind of less of a, a representation from no, I was going to say. But at the same time, you've also got Gordo Cruz, who've managed to get into the Copa Libertadores, only the fifth team, I think, from outside. Yeah, you know, the what first, they call the first from, from Mendoza El Interior. As well. Yeah. To make it into the Libertadores. Yeah, I was, I was going to say as well that Tacheres, as you say, done a, a few years ago, they finished second in the, the Torneo Clausura, but they still managed to get relegated, yeah. which is part of the ridiculousness of how the Argentine relegation system works. You've got teams like Union de Santa Fe, obviously mm -hmm. Rosario Central, who are an absolutely massive club who are currently in the second division, and, and various others from, from Salto and Jujuy provinces, Gimnasia de Jujuy, who have just recently been in the first division here in the second division. I would say that the feeling that I get personally is, is that the Argentine top flight is becoming very slowly less concentrated around Greater Buenos Aires. Yeah. But it's going to be maybe a decade and a half before we actually yeah. see something that's approaching. I think Centralists are really struggling in the second flight at the moment. But I think they'll eventually get promoted back to the top flight. Mm. And then you're going to have various other kind of clubs who, who will get promoted back. Yeah, I think uh, Rafaela are doing very well this year from uh, Santa Fe. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and sides like that. Mm. And I think in, in maybe a decade and a half to two decades time, I think the Argentine League will be less concentrated around Buenos Aires and more, yeah. well, okay, not more concentrated around any other particular area. Obviously, Buenos Aires is a third of the, in, uh, of the country's population. But I certainly think there'll be more of it. Yeah. I think at the same time, we have to recognise that it's always going to be very difficult for, many, for any team outside of Buenos Aires because I remember a lot Last year, I went to uh, Tuco an away game for, with Racing to uh, Tucumán and also one in Bahia Blanca to see Olimpo. Mm. And so one of those trips was 17 hours, one of those was 11 hours. And you know, for us, we do it maybe twice, three times a year, these big trips. And it's kind of like a big adventure, you know, you get everyone together, you take a 17 hour, 18 hour bus ride and it's good fun. But if you kind of imagine having to do that every other week going down to Buenos Aires, like there's yeah. only going to be, no matter how big your club is, how rich, there's only going to be kind of a really tiny amount of people that are going to be willing to do that every yeah, day. So, uh, it's always uh, going to be difficult to get that kind of following. And also you have to consider it from the player's point of view when you've got off that length of bus trip or even, yeah. e even if you know, some of them from the northwest might be flying down mm. occasionally. If it, it, it still plays its toll. And so it's almost as if the, the concentration of first division sides around Greater Buenos Aires has its kind of, it's, it becomes self-perpetuating. Yeah, it's very much a chicken and the egg yeah. situation. Which one's going to... Which one's going to break first? Yeah, because obviously from you know, if you travel for hours and hours and hours before <laughs> playing, then 
then it's going to be more difficult to win the game. And if you have to do it every other week, then it's another matter. And you, you almost wonder whether it would be worthwhile if, if aside from the northwest or from the far south of Patagonia, obviously no, no side from southern Patagonia has ever got into the first division, but if they were to... Or possibly even the second division as far it, as it, I it, know. I mean, if, if they were to base themselves, their training sessions in Buenos Aires and fly down to play their home, in inverted commas, games and then fly back to play in Buenos Aires mm. and train there during the week, whether that would be better off, it's... it's, it's, it's it's an interesting thing. It's something to, uh, something to mull over, yeah. It's, it's maybe something more for the football manager fanatics among you than, than for the real life football <laughs> followers. One other question that I wanted to ask was, was one that was actually answered by the three of us last week, and I thought it would be interesting to get our studio guests in this week to, to answer it. They're both now currently desperately trying to rush out the front door before I can grab either of them. We had a question last week which was to do with how... The three of us, obviously Seba not being here, but also Seba's answer being fairly obvious, chose our football teams when we first came to follow Argentine football. And we've got two non-podcast and and non-Argentine football journalists here listening to the podcast at the moment. I thought it might be worthwhile asking them how they came to support the teams that they do. Katie, my flatmate, and, and Jenny... Who's, who's a friend of us? Who, who do you support and why? Let's let's go with Katie first of all. Which Argentine club do you support and why? Racing. Okay. Because I work in Avicenna, and in one of my classes, it's just two students. One supports Independiente, and the other one supports Racing. The one that supports Independiente is a bit of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember you saying. And also, Racing play in blue, and until there's a pink yeah. team, you know. Good for you. This is as good a reason <laughs> as I, any other. I, I do remember you saying three or four months ago, though, that you, you, when you were kind of first deciding, we'd just taken you, the three of us, actually, to, to an All Boys game. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. were deciding between Racing, All Boys, and River. So, what. Did you eventually just decide on Racing for, for that reason? Well, or? I don't know, because. Being from the Isle of Man, we don't have a football team at home, so you support where your family are from, mainly, mm. hence Nottingham Forest. And because I'm not from here, I don't know Racing sort of one because that's where I spent a lot of my time, mm. in Avishnada. Okay. We'll now move on to Jenny, who supports a slightly more predictable club, let's say, for, <laughs> for foreigners to support. Jenny, who, who do you support and why? Um, I support Boca because when I first arrived in Buenos Aires, I was fairly open-minded about who I would support. But um, actually, the first team that I ever supported when I first got here was San Lorenzo. Oh, God. Because <laughs> of... Um, I'm sorry. Because I had friends who supported that, as Katie said... You support who you have grown up with. I didn't support any of the teams here in terms of who I had grown up with because obviously I'm from the UK. Um, but then I got a job working with Boca and within, I was still very open-minded within a few weeks of working with them but I instantly saw the passion that they had and the the general ideology that they had for Bucket. And I know everyone says cliches, this, but yeah. every team says this, but it just felt like Bucket had something different to offer and it, it got me fairly quickly. So right. that's, I was very easily convinced. Okay, do I, does anybody have anything to add? No, no. I think that's fine. In, in which case, we're going to wrap up now for uh, what's been a very drunken an utterly epic kind of pod recording session. I really don't know how I'm going to get this down to less than an hour because I'm pretty sure we've been recording for nearly two hours. Uh, but, yeah, thank you very much. We're, we're going to say goodbye now from uh, from our special guest, Jenny. Bye. 
from my flatmate Katie. Bye. Um, from both of the dams. Bye. Bye. And myself. <laughs> we'll say goodbye and we hope to have Sebastian Garcia back next week. Bye for now. He's in Colegiales where he lives. It's actually just the voice that Dan does. What's yeah. <laughs>